Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez is here, and today I have the privilege of hosting Julie Costeas Baker. She is the Vice President of Business Development for Access Mobile's U.S. Business. She is a healthcare business development professional with 15 years of experience scaling evidence-based programs across all sectors. She excels at forming strategic partnerships that embed innovative healthcare solutions into standardized practice. As the VP of Business Development for Access Mobile, Julie is responsible for developing best practices across the sales continuum, from identifying key stakeholders to progressing opportunities through the pipeline and expanding solution offerings for existing customers. Prior to joining Access Mobile, Julie was Vice President of Health Solutions at Cecilia Health, a clinician-led and tech-enabled diabetes management solution. She led the company in sales to health plans, employers, and providers. Prior to Cecilia Health, Julie worked at the National Council on Aging for nearly 10 years, directing their healthy aging initiatives in partnership with multiple departments under Health and Human Services, Standard University, and numerous philanthropies. Julie is, uh, holds an MPH from Yale School of Public Health and both a BA with honors in psychology and certification in gerontology from the College of the Holy Cross. Julie, I'm excited to, to chat with you today and learn more about what you guys are up to in Access Mobile. But before we do, I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. And so you guys are doing some really neat things around mobile engagement. Before we dive into those and how they're making a difference in healthcare, I'd love to learn more about what got you into healthcare. Great, great question. So, you know, healthcare is ubiquitous and yet it's not. And what I mean by that is, as you've seen, especially in in the 21st century, there's so many applications, mobile devices, um, and yet obviously still so many um, brick and mortar institutions to support patients and consumers in their healthcare journey. But with that, there are also so many challenges and barriers. And so while it feels like it's an ever-present and available Um, it's not. And so, you know, what what really inspires me is figuring out how to break those silos, those challenges and the barriers, both, you know, in the in-person setting, but also in the digital and remote setting. Yeah. And there's a lot of work to be done there. So, uh, you know, it's crucial that we have minds like yours on, on this. So tell us a little bit more, Julie, about what you guys are doing at Access Mobile to add value to the healthcare ecosystem. Sure. So I think we all recognize and appreciate that behavior change is so hard. Otherwise, I think most anyone that will be listening to this wouldn't even have a job, right? Um, We're all here to, to help support 
patients and end users to, you know, improve their health behaviors and sustain those over time. Um, but it is difficult. And, you know, it's difficult for, again, that some of the challenges and barriers that I mentioned, um, but just having access to health care that we, we live in an infodemic, right? Right now, we're being bombarded with information where we're unclear as to what is accurate, um, and but just even being able to digest that information. And so, Access Mobile really adds such tremendous value in that we're making information not only available through the ways we reach, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second, but also digestible. Mm-hmm. And we really focus on making services accessible, um, whether you live in a rural or frontier area or you live in a very diverse urban setting. So we lead actually um, our communication strategy through mobile messaging or SMS. Um, And the reason we lead with text is because we know that 98% of folks are using text as the primary application on their phones. And I think we even forget that texting is an application because it's just um, so ever present and kind of in your face. It's really hard to avoid a text. We live in a very notification-based world, so much so that I think you'll notice it's every time you download an app, Um, the first thing it does is ask you if you would like to receive push notifications because otherwise you wouldn't open the app or return to the app. So, you know, we see text as kind of what I like to call the path of least resistance. You know, most everyone has a mobile phone and whether it's a smartphone or not, you're able to use text. Um, You're opening text within three minutes of receiving them and and reading them. So we know that the reach and kind of what I like to refer to as that dose response is is there and it's there high but it's not so simple as just sending a text although we like to keep it simple for the end user or the patient that's receiving these texts um there's a lot that goes into it and so this probably leads to maybe where you want to ask some more questions about you know how we do what we do best but yeah yeah julie so for sure and then you know the one the one question that i had before going there is so there's text right and then there's the other text ecosystems like and depending on the culture or community right there's wechat there's whatsapp there's all these other sub texting areas where there is concentration and attention are you guys focused mainly on cellular texting or are you also branching into these other platforms yeah great question so actually the company was found access mobile was founded in africa 10 years ago okay and so we do leverage you know um in developing countries africa included what we saw was they actually leapfrog technologies Mm -hmm. um and so but still recognizing that you know broadband isn't um ever present in all countries. We do have USSD, we do use uh, WhatsApp and other means to be texting, not just SMS as we would do primarily in the US. Cool. And yeah, and just a little history as to why too. You know, ironically, and I'm um, first generation Greek American, and I think our our founder KP was noticing the same thing when he's first generation Ghanaian American. And when he was visiting his family in the early 2000s, and I was doing the same, um, we both noticed this juxtaposition of having, you know, high mobile penetration and yet poor access to quality care. And so thinking through how can we leverage the mobile device, something that everyone 
almost everyone had in their hands to provide them better information, more timely information, and drive them to access healthcare in their communities. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, it's always important to us to continue to make sure, you know, whether you have a smartphone or a simple cell phone, no matter who your cell carrier is or what the the service is, that you're able to access text. That's great. I always found that interesting, right? The whole leapfrog in Africa, they completely circumvented the wired telecommunications and went straight to mobile. Um, Fascinating how that happened. Uh, And so what would you say makes Access Mobile different or better than what's available today as far as engagement? Sure. So, you know, I think there's two things we do best. The the one, again, because I I reference, you know, we're not a texting company. Well, um, texting is one of our leading communication channels for the reasons I mentioned. It's not so simple as just sending a text or sending texts at scale, which which we do, but really what goes into 160 character text that can actually allow the end user to slowly change their behavior. And I think the two things we excel at are precision. So using our behavior science expertise to know exactly what each message should entail um, based on the demographics of the end user. So anything from social determinants of health to any personal determinants of health at play, um, but also our cultural competency. And so really understanding by segment and cohort who we're talking to and then framing that message appropriately. So, for example, we could have, you know, a message for poorly controlled diabetics, and yet it'll be framed three or four different ways depending on the cohort or the demographic we're speaking to based on um, cultural competencies such as, you know, race, ethnicity, knowing their, their health literacy. And so the framing is really important because the way you frame a message, while it may entail the same content, will really help trigger a response from that end user. So knowing if it needs to be a loss gain framework or one with peer pressure or social persuasion. It's these little things that can make a big difference in response rate. Definitely so. Yeah, we have tremendous response rates. And, you know, even more so more recently when we started deploying COVID-specific messaging Um, It just speaks to, one, how hungry um, individuals are for information, but information that speaks to them, and they know it's coming from a trusted source, too, um, because we take the time and use the science to make sure it's precise. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And so as you reflect on what Access Mobile does, is there anything you could point to that says, yeah, you know, we've improved outcomes or we've made business better? Can you tell me about something there? Sure. Yeah. So we primarily work, at least on the U.S. side, um, with large payers or insurers and health systems. And I think, you know, on the payer side, What we see is that, and I've seen this throughout my career, is, you know, the incentives are aligned where when you're improving clinical and quality outcomes, you're ultimately bettering the business. Um, Because when you improve clinical outcomes, whether it be medication adherence, diet exercise, or quality outcomes like closing gaps in care, 
you're going to reduce costs and increase revenue, respectively. We also see this, though, on the provider health system side. You know, when you're supporting appropriate service utilization and increasing patient satisfaction, you're ultimately, again, going to reduce costs or increase revenues. So it's, you know, important for me, just given my background in public health, but I think also my moral compass that, you know, the incentives align. If we're going to improve both the patient and provider experience and make them healthier, then ultimately those should align with also improving kind of the bottom line um, for businesses, you know, decreasing costs, increasing revenue. So it's a win-win. We're doing good and we're doing well at the same time. Love it. That's great. And, you know, it's it's not easy. I'm sure, you know, you guys have made tweaks and, and improvements to how you do things and how you approach the market or how you approach patients. Is there one particular setback that you could point us to that you've learned the most from or the companies learned the most from to make you guys better? Um, yes. <laughs> so, you know, I think um, the company came stateside about two and a half years ago mm-hmm. and spent, you know, up until that point, about eight years of really doing intensive R&D in Africa and learning a lot um, in terms of reaching rural rural and frontier populations um, and disparate populations. And bringing that to the U.S., I think um, you'll have your partners, who it really resonates with them, all the learnings and insights we've drawn from our Africa business. Um, And then you'll have others that will push back and, you know, maybe be very ethnocentric and say, you know, that doesn't apply to us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we have to be careful with (laughs) how we frame things um, Mm -hmm. for certain U.S. clients and partners. But I think now more than ever, the U.S. is appreciating, you know, just how much disparities are, are, you know, ever present and that the, the work we learned abroad is very applicable to what we do in the U.S. And so just I wouldn't say it's necessarily a setback, but it's been a bit of a learning curve both mm-hmm. for us and and some of our partners to get kind of on board. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more of a, you guys have been pitching it and you've had different reception around the message of what you guys have learned in Africa. And there's been a, a shift, you know, there's a shift in applications of and, and belief that, you know, okay, you know, social determinants of health is actually going to make an impact positive impact to my patients to my bottom line if I do something about it what else are they doing over there we, <laughs> you know so there's yep, a yep. there's been a good shift in in people's openness I think to, to definitely yeah and you know you guys have stuck with it which is a which is a big deal it's easy to give up uh, so as you as you think about some of the strides you guys are making what would you say you're most excited about Um, I think to piggyback on what we were just discussing is really bridging the equality gap. There's, um, you know, unfortunately, this pandemic has caused the entire nation to really look, you know, head on at just the inequalities that have been in healthcare forever. Um, And, you know, it's unfortunate that it took a pandemic, but I also see so many opportunities um, in that everyone's really getting behind looking beyond, you know, the traditional healthcare institution and looking at how do we make health ubiquitous, not healthcare. Um, And so looking at, you know, social determinants of health more strategically, recognizing that you can't do it alone. It really does take a village. It's not going to just take 
having, you know, quality providers and quality institutions, it is going to take um, community organizations and local businesses to help support individuals and recognize that there's a myriad of factors at play that help keep people healthy or turn them, you know, into to utilizing more healthy behaviors and appropriate services. And so it's, you know, I'm excited that, you know, we have this widespread adoption now of not just telehealth and remote monitoring, but also really appreciating the power of community and, you know, insurers and, and providers looking on how to partner more strategically with those local organizations. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. And, and um, access matters, how we do it matters. And, uh, you know, there's there's certainly a lot of energy and a lot of efforts post-COVID. So I'm excited for you guys, Julie. As you think about how we wrap up today, what closing thought would you give our listeners? And what would you say the best place they could reach out if they want to continue the conversation is? Sure. I think it'd be challenge the status quo. We know that what we were doing wasn't working or it wasn't ideal or optimal. And so, you know, let's, think outside the box. Um, let's, again, let's figure out how do you make health ubiquitous, not healthcare. Um, and I think we're hearing this a lot too from, from national and, and, and local organizations that are moving more towards health and not healthcare. And so, you know, don't, don't ever um, dissuade <laughs> any idea. You know, I see lots of folks um, even suggesting using barbershops or hairdressers mm-hmm. as as a means to, you know, start building community um, support and being the kind of the, the voice um, to help consumers and patients navigate healthcare. So continue to challenge yourself. Question, you know, the, the millions of apps and devices out there um, on, in health and healthcare. You know, are, are they reaching those that they're supposed to reach? If they are, great. Are they effective? If not, why not? Um, so let's continue to you know, challenge ourselves. In terms of reaching me, you can email me at julie.baker at accessmobileinc.com. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear from folks. No, this, this is great, Julie. And yeah, you got to be open-minded. I mean, there's a lot of people. I mean, I'll tell you what, I go to the barbershop more than I do to the doctor. <laughs> you know, and I and I and I'm like proud of going to the doctor once a year just for my annual checkup. But but I still go to the barber shop, you know, once every month and a half or two months, right? So uh, there's something there, you know. What can we do? Be open to ideas, and I think that's the the inspiration Julie's leaving us with. If you want to learn more about Access Mobile, just go to accessmobile.io. And if you go to outcomesrocket.health, type in Julie Baker or Julie Costas Baker in the search bar. You'll find her email address there. You could connect with her and learn more about the company and what they're up to and how they can help you engage with your patients. So Julie, I just want to say thank you for joining us. This was a ton of fun. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, no podcast, no problem. Launch a professional podcast you'll love in four weeks. Most people hire production companies to edit and distribute content that sounds bad and does nothing for their revenue or their network. But you could turn the key to a made-to-order podcast and skip all the pitfalls that make 90% of shows discontinue after five episodes. 
We've got the expertise, the elbow grease, and you're back on this one. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.